0: Just, uh, From the I just need to take five and just go away and recover <laughs> Not even high pressure, I don't know the word, to describe it <laughs> From the Today my guests are some of the more formidable people in the camp drafting world They are responsible for one of the major camp drafts And one of the highlights of the camp drafting year The Paradise Lagoons Camp Draft Joining me today are Evan and Tom Acton We'll start with Evan. Evan, tell us how this amazing event actually started. I'm pretty sure you were there on day one.
1: Yes, Kay. uh, My brother Graham, who unfortunately got killed in a camp drafting accident, was a mastermind or the thought that put it together and he said to me, we should have a camp draft. He knew I'd been involved in camp drafting through ACA Council for quite a number of years, probably 10 years by 2000 when we had the first event after the uh, Beef Expo in the showground. So all the hounds were on deck and uh, when the Beef Expo was over and the people were cleared away and all the displays, my brother Graham and all his workers and the helpers and plenty of volunteers built a complete camp draft set of yards and cut out in the middle of the showground and uh, prepared the surface and put some block panels up and that's where the first one was, okay.
0: And that was a, a rip-roaring success. Tom, what do you remember of that? You would have only been a little tacker. Were you uh, being, a, being a helper and a, and a volunteer in in, a, in the true sense of the word at that stage?
2: Yeah, no, I can remember it. It was a great event following on from beef. Yeah, like Evan said, we got it all done and all the cattle came in from Croydon. We had them all mustered up there before that week in a Holden paddock and I think everyone was down at town, bar from fellow that used to come and shoot some roos at home, he was <laughs> off the land and Charlie Shelton and I think Dad said, you can come up and shoot some roos if you load these cattle down to Rocky for us. So he did, yep. mustered them all in so they now everyone was down there. No, it was a great event.
0: Evan, you you will um, know the amount of time and effort that went into here. Did you actually own Paradise Lagoons in 2000 or did that come as, as part of, of the big plan?
1: Yeah, well, we we took over around then uh, here at Paradise, and Graham was always had in the back of his mind to start building a complex as we see it today. But it it was built in uh, progression. You know, I built the arena one, but around that time, uh, straight after the successful one in the showgrounds for Rockhampton, he said, "Well, why don't we keep going and building a, a decent complex?" So that's the first arena was built, and all the uh, buildings that you need to run it, the ablution blocks and the bar and the cape thing, was built for the next one that was uh, 2003.
0: I remember I came out here, I was um, good friends with Graham, and he rang me up and said, Shorty, and I'll preface that, that he was the only person I would let call me Shorty, Shorty, you better get out here and have a look at this and tell me what you think, I didn't know a great deal about camp drafting. I've followed lots of them and been to lots, but never been involved in organising one. And we came out and had a look. And at that stage, he had the yards built. And I think he had a couple of blokes down on a welder building the arena one, but on the far rail over there, there was no cement pad for a horse wash down. And he stood on the hill and told me the big his, his big vision. And uh, I, I did say to him, that's an amazing vision. We all know his claim to fame is... He had lots of dreams, but not many small ones. Did you ever at any stage, Evan, go, gee, we, this is a big dream, Graham. Do you think we're biting off more than we can chew?
1: No, I thought the uh, camp raft uh, fraternity as uh, being a very popular recreational sport, I might add. It's not very professional and there's not a lot of money in it, but by Jesus, a lot of people involved in it that were prepared to, to get in behind it, so... I always thought that it would come to fruition because what you need when you have a successful camp draft, you need plenty of competitors and plenty of helpers, Kate.
0: Yeah, you do. And, and uh, both you and, and Graham have a, an innate ability to get people to, to step in around you a, and help you. Who was on the original committee that, that helped you uh, get it up and running?
1: Yeah, there was Peter Hughes and David Cam, uh, Cameron McIntyre, I think he was the original one, Geoffrey uh, McCartney. Uh, that that wasn't a very big committee. There wasn't wasn't too many on it at all. And uh, yeah, and uh, all our people that worked for us helped. But uh, yeah, Graham didn't have a big committee, but he had a plenty of helpers and. Uh, volunteers, Kate. I guess it's
0: testimony to the committee and to the sport of camp drafting. A lot of those uh, guys are still here and uh, are still on the committee and are still here today helping out and uh, the wealth of knowledge that you have, I'm sure uh, Tom, as the new President certainly uh, draws on on all of that experience when trying to organise it.
1: Yeah, Kate, uh, yeah, I did miss one. Ian Lovegrove, he put a lot of work in helping Graham with organising of the uh, before the present people are doing that job you now, just organising the whole back structure of the vet, you know, and uh, Tony Fenland, they they put a a lot of work in here.
0: Yeah. So as time progressed, um, we're all aware of the tragic incident that happened, and and uh, Graham was called to the to higher duties, and uh, as a result, there was a shuffle in the committee, and and uh, his son Tom has taken over as president. And that were huge shoes to fill, Tom, by, by no stretch of the imagination. So who did you put around you? Clearly the fellows that your father had around him were his mates and, and were on the same wavelength and, and age group as he was. And uh, as time goes by, those people all are getting to the stage where they're wanting to step away and, and you have had to make a new committee. So who have you put on your committee and why did you choose those men and women?
2: Okay. Yeah, like you said, Peter and David and uh Cameron and Geoffrey were there from the start along with Ian Lovegrove and all and also Margaret Olive and Fiona McCartney, they did a lot of work there uh at the start with the secretary role and that for a lot of years and then yeah, those people just sort of starting to fade off now but they did a long time there. Um David just retired and Peter last year. Cameron's still with us, but he's absent this year. He's away. But uh, over the last 12, 18 months, Jason Philp's come on board with us. Um, He's got a big, obviously, a cattle producer, but a long history in camp drafting for many years. And also Tony Prentice and Damien Kenny, which Tony's, yeah, he's a helicopter pilot from Emerald, but um, he's got a cattle station and yeah, he's done a bit of fair bit of camp drafting, and Damien Kenny, who's a local elders representative from town here. So, oh, and then also we've got a few um, administration staff helping us out now, and sponsorship, the side with Crystal Caton. So yeah, we just you need a lot of broad ranges of different fields, you know, to make to make the show work. So it's obviously turning into a great national event now so away from the camp drafting there's a lot of other side things as well so yeah it takes a lot of organizing
0: it, it certainly does and you know that was always one of its claim to fame it was uh, a huge amount of sponsorship huge money and uh that skill is something that's probably not real uh, prevalent in the bush uh going out and chasing those sorts of things hence the reason you need those staff so jason i guess uh you know, you're a camp drafter, you're a grazier and you're a family man. Why did you accept Tom's invitation, I guess, to join the committee? It's a lot of work and you're not just here for three or four days. It's a, it's a lot of regular work and you're here for probably 10 days, which is a long time away from a, from a, a cattle property and, and certainly when you've got kids that you're trying to educate and I'm assuming your children are on correspondence or distance ed as it's called now, it's a big commitment. So what made you join the committee?
3: Uh, yeah, well, Kay, we... Like growing up, my father—he was—he's always been on committees, and um, you know, if, if, without people volunteering and helping with any any draft and any committee, it's not going to run. So we've grown up knowing the Actons and Tom here. We've we've had a good, uh, you know, friendship for a lot of years, and and the older ones on the committee that are slowly re- retiring and and done a fantastic job of of knowing them as well. So I was more, yeah, like. I, we, we live sort of 500k away and we don't want to see the show not run so, you know, definitely we, I, I came on board uh, hopefully my opinions valued and, and we can bring a few fresh ideas that might work up our way down here. Certainly the, the family side of it, our oldest fellas at boarding school down here so that Another good opportunity that you're not just coming down for committee meetings. It works in well uh, that we get to see him as well. And we've got three more behind him, so we've got a lot of years of boarding <laughs> ahead of us. So there's going to be plenty of trips coming this way. And Paradise, it's it's an iconic event. and I, I, We were here for the first one, and it was just mind-boggling. Every year we came back, and we couldn't believe the, it certainly
0: was, one of those places that everyone came to and what was going to be new this year. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and I guess, you know, that comes from not having small dreams um, and, and there was something built new every year. Uh, do you, Jason, think it is the best uh, setup in the sport now?
3: Well, it's the best set-up I've, I've been coming to, definitely, as far as camping arrangements uh, go. Yeah, everyone's got power, you've got water, you've got a, you know, room for your horses, the the arenas are brilliant yeah the overall package at paradise it's set a high standard and a lot of other camp drafts have had to lift their game to come with it and then that, and that that alone like we I can bring the family down and and there's so many other things on on offer along with the trade sites and you know everyone's yeah, been, I, being entertained I suppose I guess it's that is just...
0: one great thing about it it has improve the facilities at Camp Draft Grounds and raise the bar, I guess, at Camp Draft Grounds, certainly within central Queensland, which can't be seen as a bad thing. The sport is growing and I've been reported it's saying as, you know, faster than probably any other sport in Australia at the moment and everything needed to catch up and keep up. And I guess this has been a a place where the bar was set and it's been set exceedingly high it's a great thing for, for the other organisations, do you think? Or do you think it's set the bar and now it's, it's a struggle for those um, other committees to keep up?
3: No, I think, I think every committee tries to run the best show they can and with what's available. There's yeah. a lot of committees out there that aren't on the doorsteps of a town, so they, they do the best with what they have available. But what Paradise does, and I believe how it just stands out on its own, it's very inviting and there's a draft for most levels of experience... It's not just a top end drafters catered for. There's there's yep. a maiden mm-hmm. shootout, um, rider shootout, and and the juvenile. It's been growing every year, Cater yep. for you know the family, so you can bring uh, everyone everyone along. And if they're at that stage, they should be able to have a run.
0: Yep. So Tom, for you, Paradise Lagoons is your home, uh, not the camp draft grounds, but the, <laughs> but the uh, you, you actually live here on the on the property, Paradise Lagoons. So you must make a start yourself just, you know, well before everything. It would nearly be a case of when this one packs up, you nearly have to start thinking about next year, more or less straight away, to keep things uh, rolling along and keep things as spick and span as they are. There's not a thing out of place ever when you come to paradise. And, you know, that's a legacy, uh, that's an Acton legacy, not just your father, but that was, that's an Acton legacy of doing things and doing them properly. So when everyone goes home and uh, you've had a, a rest for a couple of days, what does Tom Acton come down here and start to do?
2: Oh, okay. it's sort of, now it's been going for that long. It's, yeah, everyone knows what to do. All the all the businesses in town, they just come out and get all their, collect all their stuff, um, buildings and it all just goes away. The rubbish goes away and we just uh, drag all the campsites and level the manure out and drag the arenas. And yeah, after four or five days after everyone's gone, it's sort of just back to normal pretty much. So hopefully you get a little shower of rain and lay a bit of dust and... Yeah, that's all good, but we're lucky enough this year having that bit of rain that it just made it all nice. The dust settled and a bit of green picked. So,
0: so what's the biggest challenge? You know, as for the committee, what's the biggest challenge of, of putting on a draft? You know, uh, I'm involved in a, in my local camp draft at home, and and I do a bit of announcing for other camp drafts in the in the area. And you know, every draft has its has the challenge, and I guess every one of the challenges that a lot of them have is getting the cattle. Is that your challenge, or is there a bigger challenge than that? That behind the scenes, that those of us who come and roll in in our gooseneck neck and our, when unload our horses don't even think about or see.
2: Oh no, we do. That's one thing that we do. Like we, we put a lot of emphasis in our cattle, trying to source the best cattle we can, so it's fairest for everyone. So that is a big job, but we've been very lucky in the obviously ever since we've been going, to have the numbers of cattle to try and get the good even lines. And it is a little bit harder now, but we seem to get enough real good cattle. We've been we've got a lot of real generous cattle donors and um, I think it's probably, logistically, it's probably not actually the cattle. It's probably all the other little stuff, you know, that happens like when you're dealing with hundreds of volunteers and getting them all fed and organised and
0: mm-hmm.
2: trade sites and trying to make all that stuff as good as you can for everyone too, but the main focus has always been the camp draft and the standard we've set to run that, but...
0: So 2019, how many cattle are at Paradise?
2: Oh, about 2,600, I think, we'll use. Yeah. Yeah, so... it's about 60-odd decks of cattle come in and go out, and then we've got about a 1,000 of ours here that we're using now. That's um, a lot of
0: cattle by any stretch of, of the imagination. That's, in mm-hmm. fact, more cattle than most a lot of people actually even own. So that is a huge feat and something that you're to be congratulated for as a committee to pull that uh, many cattle together. And I guess, again, that's testimony to the people who sit on that committee that people are prepared to, uh, to lend their cattle because... Uh, it is a big thing as a producer to lend your cattle to a draft.
2: Oh, yeah, for sure. Not, And it's not just here. Like, those numbers aren't... A lot of weekends, there's fifteen, sixteen hundred 1,600 head of cattle at, at most camp drafts now. Nearly, nearly three days. So I think there might have been 2,300 or 400 at Greenvale last weekend for the finals um, from Blair and Josie Angus. So it's very uh, generous of cattle donors all throughout the sport, just Australia-wide. You know, every weekend there's half a dozen camp drafts on and it's a big effort, so...
0: So we'll just concentrate now a little on, on you, pair as, as camp drafters. You're both uh, formidable camp drafters in your own right. Jason, I guess you you were a mini camp drafter, if there was such a thing in those days, and have been doing it ever since. You would have been taught to ride by your father, I I'm no doubt about that. Were you a pony club kid as well, or it was just... Uh, we're not into pony clubs and jodpas here. It's you need a saddle and a pair of spurs, and we're going mustering. Is that how you learnt to ride?
3: Yeah, no, it was just mustering was was how we we all learnt to work uh, ride horses at home. So yeah, certainly a lot of hours. Um, sometimes sleeping in the <laughs> saddle because you're you're young and you're tired. But that that's probably what um, you know that that alone. And now my my boys are getting the same sort of treatment, that nothing prepares you and gets you more relaxed than if you're tired. So we, we spent a lot of hours, and luckily there was there was plenty of mustering on offer um, growing up on the family place. And, yeah, Dad was uh, the big influence on um, how, yeah, I rode, certainly.
0: Just on that point, as a child when you grew up, uh, there was a lot of mustering. Do you think there's a change your kids and and certainly your grandkids will be more of the as they like to say, the mechanical era of, of uh, being a grazier, you know, there'll be, there's helicopters and there's laneways and there's, you know, there's motorbikes and there's two-ways and there's lots of things now that uh, weren't even considered normal when, uh, when you were, were, were learning to ride. Do you think that will change the way your children learn to ride or the involvement that they'll have in a sport like camp drafting?
3: Uh, no, well, definitely there is, there is a change. Uh, there's nowhere near the the hours of mastering that they used to be. Um, but my, yeah, I mean, personally, we we make an effort that, um, you know, we still go and boil the billy up every now and again. And, yeah, they certainly learn to ride by doing the, doing the miles more so than other avenues, I guess you'd say. But it, it really, if you weren't interested in horses, you probably, there's plenty of properties around that run a good show and um, wouldn't even have a horse on the property,
0: so... Just on that point then why do you think camp drafting is growing at the rate it's growing at you know what you've just said is a very valid point there's more and more places now where where horses are lo- used less and less um and and we all learnt to ride as kids when we were kids because that's what you needed to do to be part of to get things done there'd be plenty of kids now who wouldn't ever need to learn to ride to be able to run a place they'd be able to do it you know, they go off and be a helicopter pilot rather than, than learn to ride a horse. But camp drafting continues to grow at an extraordinary speed. What do you put that down to?
3: I think it's the people that it attracts and the people that are there, the atmosphere. In this area, in central and north and western drafts, it's very inviting. You can turn up. It's it's um, a good way to get away, I think. and And a lot of people are attracted to that side of it, it's not just, uh, there, there's a big, um, what do you say, like uh, competitors that are certainly not um, going chasing cattle every day, they've got their own own ways of making money and, but mm-hmm. they're attracted to, I think, what the sport has to offer.
0: So the family part of it, obviously, you know, you're a dad with four children? Yes. Yep, and so, you know, that's uh, that's a big, is a big deal um, to you and, and it was your passion, pre-kids, and will be your passion post-little kids, but do you do you stick with it because of, of the family the family involvement? Um, you know, if the boys came home and said, Dad, we don't want to go camp drafting, we're going to be a Bronco, we're going to play football, do you think, oh, geez, this is just a different environment that I would rather the kids be involved in camp drafting? Or oh, do you just go, if that's what you want to do, son, then that's what we'll do?
3: <laughs> well, probably not the Broncos at the moment, but <laughs> you know, <Sharp>. maybe south <laughs> um, look no, nah, look if they if they're not interested on that's fine, yep. but yeah, but at the moment, um, you know they they love going to a draft'cause that that's how Bush kids get to see their mates, yep, uh, it's the only opportunity they get they get home schooled, and um they look forward to it as much and and they love their horses, so it's a natural progression and yeah, I mean, you don't want to influence them too much, but if the opportunity's there, the horse flesh is there and, the, um, you know, the cattle are there, so it's it's all available, but it, it's up to them yep. what they want to do once they, they get older.
0: So, Tom, we'll just focus on the horse flesh. Jason just spoke about that. You've had a couple of handy steeds in your life. Do you think that plays a huge role in your success or do you think you're just lucky? You, you know, I've asked others... Do you think
2: a good horse is made or it's born? Oh, it's definitely... You've got to have a good horse. Like, you make your own luck in this game, but, yeah, the, those good horses that keep turning up consistent all the time, they definitely help you, help you out a lot. Um, there's a lot of good horses around now, but if you go back... And they're a different horse. Like, if you go back 15 years ago to a camp draft, if you saw a quarter horse, it'd be like looking at a zebra. Like, you go, what's that? But now you hardly find a straight stock horse. Yeah. You know, the dynamics have changed. And like Jason said, that that's because of a huge percentage of the camp drafting base is not off the land now. They're town people that just want to get out and have a, have a ride on the weekend and chase cows, you know. It's a great, great sport. So the quarter horse industry sort of bought into that. Those horses are a bit more versatile for those weekenders. Just the way they're bred, a bit cooler. And there's been some good, there's a lot of good quarter horses around that have crossed real well with the stock horse. And that's a great article, you know, which we have some of them too. But no, definitely, definitely got to have a good horse. And then you just got to pick the right cow and do so the right
0: job. What's been your best one?
2: Oh, the Bay Mare I got now, I reckon, takes a fair bit of beat. And uh, she's an um, Acre's Destiny cross with the stock horse.
0: And her um, name is Rolling
2: so. Acres. Yep. Yeah. So, but oh, there's a lot of good horses around, and um, and but I mean, a lot of good horses back, you know, pre my time and Jason's time. It's someone said to me the other day, "Oh, Winks has got to be the best horse that's ever been." But you can't you can't judge horses in different eras. Like I said to that person, she's the greatest horse I've seen um, on race on turf over various differences and weights and heavy tracks and she's just got the complete package. But I said, Farlap won four Group 1 races in seven days carrying 70 bloody kilos. Mm. So <laughs> you're pretty hard to say Winks is, you know, you've got to look at the times and, the, you know, and the horses are one. racing and the different eras. But they're all good horses, but I don't think you can say one's better than the other. But, yeah, I wouldn't have minded owning Winx.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Would have had a lot of fun, wouldn't we? <laughs> um, so, Tom, do you do you um, break your own horses and start them yourself, or you, you know, are you just too busy to do that? And oh. there's other people around who can do that, and, and you can then take them back over. Or
2: yeah, no, we um, we breed. A, we we're sort of lightening off on the numbers a bit now. We don't sort of need as many horses, and we're just focusing on the better quality. So we're only breeding half a dozen a year. Um, and Jason that works for us here, he, he breaks them in usually. Um, he's a fairly handy jockey, yeah, you have to no, do it's that. Yeah, he's good. <laughs> so, yeah, and then they just progress through the stages and, yeah, some I'll send away for a bit for other people to show and and um, get back to draft then, that's sort of the plan. But, yeah, I since I've been down here, I guess, in town the last five years, I sort of haven't really, you know, I can vary from three drafts to seven or eight drafts a year, so... The kids are at school. The boys sort of want to play football now. Sort of <laughs> like, like Jason said, like, I don't, you know, I'm not going to pressure them to, like, now they're having fun at school with their mates playing football and that if they want to do that. Like, the horses are there, the saddle's there and the place is here and the cattle. So if they want to do it, that's fine. But, but yeah, they got they got plenty of time to ride. Like, um, the girls are fairly keen. Um, Madison won the uh, 2 ended cutting at, Vigilance the other day, the first time she'd been in it. and uh, So don't so tell me you're
0: going to go and be a cutter.
2: No, nah, well, that's what I said. I might have to change the horses <laughs> around. But, no, nah, I think I'll stick to the camp draft. But, no, nah, like I said, it's just a great family sport. And obviously my kids don't do distance ed, but it is a great thing for those bush kids to, to go to those shows and meet up with all their mates and have a good time. And that, that improves their riding too. I did a bit of pony club when I was a kid which was a bit of fun and, yeah, but uh, we mm. haven't got involved in it down here yet.
0: No. So, Jason, back to you, um, I guess, you know, you're a bit further out and you're a bit further away from, from all of the things. Do you, do you? Um, I guess, do you breed your own and train your own and break your own horses or do you send them away and, and bring them back when they're ready to go?
3: No, do we, we um, breed all our own and yep. then... We send them away to get broken in only probably in the last three, five years. I did break a couple in only a couple of years ago. But you just get, yeah, certainly with with every day uh, running of a property and the driest stages we're in, and instead yep. of taking two or three weeks to break a horse in properly, it sort of takes, <laughs> it can be up to three months. So <laughs> um, it's just easier to send them the way to, to someone that's, you know, doing it full time and they do a, do a great job. And then, no, I just, yeah. It's not so much training them; um, we just we just sort of muster on them and they're bred to do what they are, and, and fine tune it as they progress, sort of thing. So,
0: so what's the best a, one you've had?
3: Oh. <laughs> I, I don't know. I, I I was fortunate to ride, you know, some great horses of, of my father's when yep. I was younger, um, Casanova and and um, Bossanova. So, you know, as a as a young fellow growing up, it was you know a huge opportunity to to know what a what a great horse was to throw a leg over and then, um, you know, and then yeah, a few good ones coming through that got there despite of me <laughs> being a bit younger and all Moody Blue and then probably just, you know, in the last 10 years, a, a mere playgirl and she won here, um, Supergirl one year and uh, Misty and then I've got a cult at the moment, Epic. He's, he's sort of um, doing everything that we, we want with him and his progeny are doing well, so yeah you know like it there's no um as long long as uh you know, i enjoy most horses as long as they they got a bit of spark in them I, so, I don't like kicking them too much
0: <laughs> so what's been your biggest win jason and and or not the the your what was the biggest win in your mind where you went home and thought oh i'm just so happy i i picked that up
3: oh looks definitely here mm. yeah, my word to, to win here in in front of the crowd and and um at at such a you know massive show that that um yeah definitely like yeah, it was it was um one that I'll always remember and and be in front of such a uh you know caliber of horse riders and and horse flesh um there yeah, no, no nothing and riding in the state of origin I'd yeah. put that up there as well <laughs> that's you know they, those little things just yeah, mean mean so
0: much uh, clearly um you know you live a you live a long way from from um certainly here at paradise and that but how far <coughs> What's the furthest you've been away to, to draft? You know, some people just never stop and they don't care how far away it is. And I guess as you've got older and you've had children and, and a business of your own, there's been a few limiting factors. But over the years, I'm sure you've put a few miles on on a truck over the, to get to a draft. How far have you been?
3: Oh, no, no further south than Warwick yeah. um, and, the, and West Burke and Wills. We went out there last year for the finals. So um, I've judged down in New South Wales, but never carted horses that far. Yep. Um, but yeah, certainly uh, with family and and everything, it's it, yeah we sort of pick and choose yeah. uh, what we do at the moment and how far we travel.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah, but
0: so t- for Tom, how far have have you have you gone over the years? Um, you know, here in CQ, you don't have to go far. You can nearly draft every weekend without having to go very far at all. But I'm sure over the years um, you've put a few miles on a truck just to get out and see something else.
2: Yeah, like Jason said, I've judged down at Coyogle in New South Wales before, but, yeah, Warwick, I've been to Warwick before. That's probably as far south as I've competed and I've been out to Longreach. We had that draft out there after Paradise a few years ago.
0: Mm
2: -hmm. And uh, I've been to Camelwheel, but I haven't drafted there. So, yeah, you do plenty of miles. Um, Yeah, like now, yeah, you pick and choose a bit where you go.
0: So, just on that judging thing, um, you know, it's a panel. You don't just automatically become a judge. You have to be, um, you know, assessed and put on a panel. And so, you know, that's that's a testimony to, to your integrity as a person, and certainly your ability to judge. Um, and you've been judged by many. When you're a judge, what is it that you tell the competitors you want to see, and what you're going to judge and and score them on?
3: Um. Yeah. Okay. I. I mean, yeah, mo- most of the time yeah, what you are looking for is just someone, you like you tell them that you don't want to see them uh, upsetting the cattle is is the number one thing at the moment because we, you know, and always has been, we don't want to see riders coming in there and trotting around the cattle and um, upsetting them because cattle donors, without them, uh, we, 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 we look a bit silly chasing each other around <laughs> out there. So certainly from when they ride in that cutout, you expect them to ride around nice and steady, and then when, as a judge, you say right, you you want them to go and start uh, making an effort to walking down and picking their beast and cutting it out. And certainly, I, I just I look at the way they go about it. Um, cattle skills is a, is a big part. If they roar them all up the front and upset everything, well, they're probably not going to be on the 22 or three. They might be a 21. So that that and then it's just it's just about control. Outside and how, how hard they go at their pegs, I suppose, um, and, and how the horse travels. Uh, I know most people judge how they ride, so it's, it's a reflection on yourself, I suppose, and, and what you see and, and just be fair. And That's mm. all anyone can ask for, I think.
0: And as a judge, you know, I've spoken to a couple of other judges and as a judge, is there just an absolute bugbear for you that you just go, no way, <laughs> you know, call me what yeah. you like when I'm finished, but this is the whip. And I'll see you later. Talk to me about it much later on.
3: Oh de- yeah, definitely. It got it was pretty bad there years ago. People ignoring you um, in the cutout and just taking their own time. Um, yeah, that yeah that uh, boils. <laughs> so, <laughs> but they get the message pretty quick if you and you don't even have to say it in your speech now. You used to have to say it or you know be ready when I say right and. If you don't you'll start losing points or or so on and if someone you know they're on a twenty two or three and you give them a twenty they they figure it out pretty quick <laughs> so it's just um, you know just sticking to what what you expect and yeah. and most of the time um, most competitors are very good and and they try to look after the cattle and look after the follow competitor
0: just coming back to the cattle deal and and I've asked a lot of others this um, you know when you're at a draft, it's always the topic of conversation. The cattle are good, they're bad, they're big, they're fast, they're small, they're slow. You know, everyone's everyone's always got an opinion on what they should be. And it's easy when you're up there being critical, when you're the person on the committee trying to find the cattle, you sometimes beggars can't be choosers and you've got to take what you're given. Do you think everyone's got the same a lot of cattle in the, in the cutout yard, that the cattle just sort those out from then those that can and those that can't? Oh
3: definitely. Yep. If you if you um you know you're half beaten already if you uh complaining about the cattle or the ground or the judge or anything like that at the end of the day if you've done the work on your horse at home and you turn up and you're giving yourself the best opportunity to that, to have a good crack well you know you'll you'll have a fun weekend and and you might not get the 90s you're after but you know, you ride accordingly. All all cattle have got a certain characteristics about them in most arenas and it's just about learning from your mistakes and, and keeping it simple, I suppose. And at the end of the day, just cut it out and put it around and you'll get scored. And you keep doing that, you know, you, you'll be there at the end of the day with a yeah. ribbon.
0: Jason Philp, who's the best camp drafter you've watched?
3: <laughs> I, I think there's, there's too many to name. Like, yeah, there's the ones that they go every weekend and... And um are probably more in front of all or everyone because they're there all the time, but then there's other other blokes that might only do their five or ten drafts a year and and are every bit is good if not better and um so i'd 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 struggle to name one there's you know there there's heaps out there that i' I'll, I'll pull up every day and watch them ride because they're they're great to watch, and they ride what how i'd I would like to see someone ride so very difficult, but you know I was yeah, I was very lucky. Dad, Dad was a good rider and um, good on his horses, and could make most horses come along. Like he, he didn't matter what ability that horse was, and at the end of the day, if you give a give a give them enough opportunity and keep the confidence in an animal, they're going to do well.
0: So. so, Jason, just on the paradise uh, committee. Where do you want to see it go, and and what would you like as as a committee member um, to to do and 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 bring to the table and continue to make it the fantastic event it is?
3: Well, I'd I'd like to just see it um, certainly grow. We we need the the cattle, you know, the competitors to come to um, keep keep it happening. That's for sure. So to um, certainly see it see it supported. Would be great, and then in terms of growing, I I don't think we need a fourth arena, (laughs) surely. (laughs) But just you know, just to keep keep what was, I suppose, what Graeme and and um, the committee that he had back then to continue what they the the standard, I suppose, the standard and what people when you come to Paradise, you want to see the the spectacle that it is, and and those sort of things. So certainly, I, I don't think we need to reinvent anything like Tom and I were talking the other day, from when it started, there's a lot of... Oh, you know, like with Tamworth alone, there's some massive drafts that have uh, come on board and, and certainly and they go for a week or longer and that's another attraction. So there's certainly other other um, events that have come on that that are on the radar now of people that can't draft as well. So it's not just Paradise and, I suppose, the Southern Run.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, Tom, I guess... You're probably going to give me a similar answer to Hugh in yeah. uh, to Jason rather in in relation to it you t- to your favourite drafter, but do you have one?
2: No, I don't. I'm pretty pretty similar to Jason. Yeah, I think I think there's yeah I don't know how you you would say one. I mean, like like we're talking about winks, you know. You got to go back 40, 50 years ago, you know, like in like Sir Charlie Floor and Graham McKenzie and you know Terry All and bunch of those fellas you know, back in that era, like, when it sort of, I guess, the ACA first started sort of 47 years ago. But, you know, in all that time, it'd be hard, you know, you're talking about different grounds, different horses, different cat not different, but, you know, different, era. different cattle and that. So, you yeah. know, it'd be hard to say, like, there'd there be good people, like, there's hundreds of good competitors in, in every, every era, so... But you know, obviously, there's the standout out ones, you know, like Jason said, that are doing it every every weekend. And but yeah, it's just so many,
0: so many good ones. It'd be hard to say a name, you know. So Tom Acton, Paradise Lagoons would mean more to you than it means to most. Where do you want to see it go, and what would you like to see happen? You know better than anyone, the man who never had many small dreams. Um, so for you, what does it? What do you want?
2: Yeah, no, well, I think, you know, we've just got to keep the legacy going of what Dad and and all the inaugural committee members, you know, what their thought was and um, just see it keep improving. Like, Paradise, really, Paradise Lagoons is only really a new camp draft. I mean, you know, this camp draft's been going over 100 years. We're only 17, 18 years old, 17 years old. So we're never going to have the Warwick Gold Cup legacy, I guess. Uh, we've got our own legacy, but, yeah, we just, just keep the standard up and improving our facilities, not getting bigger, but just uh, that's one aspect we've always had here with Paradise is, is looking after the, the just the general public and the everyday people and also the competitors, the facilities for the showers and toilets and the power, and and as long as... We can try and keep doing that to a standard and if we can keep getting the support from people, yeah, we'll just keep the level up all the time and keep improving everything and doing everything better and, yeah, hopefully we can keep everyone coming back here. Um, sponsors and volunteers are a huge contribution for us with volunteers helping us out. Obviously, you were part of the rescue helicopter, so... Yeah, like we've given I think charity-wise we've given about nearly $400,000 since we've been going, so you know, that's a great concept too. Yep.
0: Yep. One of the major things for Paradise is the amount of money that it's given away over the years and that's something that um was certainly a big desire for Graham and and that was his one of his motivators was to give back and and he was he was very good at that. We've got lots of more Paradise lagoons left I would think and so Jason Philp and Tom Acton we wish you many more safe rides and many more Paradise Lagoons camp drafts. Thank you very much.
3: Thanks, Kay. Yep. Thank you, Kay.
0: From the Saddle is brought to you by Hewitt Consulting and Communications. Specialising in rural business and marketing design. Find them on Facebook and Instagram.